This is a Baby Brunch podcast. I'm told that mental health is a state of well-being and every individual understands their own potential eventually. And I look at that and I'm thinking, that's not mental health. Isn't that just life? Today we're talking about mental health. And there's so much out there. I mean, just doing a simple search, I found so many terms, videos, that I don't understand and that I need clarity on. I decided to bring two guests to studio today. The one is a doctor who does her research in mental health. And the other, let's call her a friend, Mahrit. She is someone who has suffered through disorders and who has suffered trauma and is now in a position that can say that she is managing or has recovered a mental health problem. So welcome to both of you ladies. Thank, Thank you. You. <laughs> you speak at the same time. That was that was synchronicity. Well coordinated. <laughs> that was really cool. Listen, <laughs> I am I'm encouraged by your bravery that you're willing to sit here today and have this discussion and unpack certain things that has happened to you. But Mahrit, before we get to your story, Dr. Leandri, you are in public mental health and you're a specialist in that. There's so much out there. I had a look. Anxiety disorder, what is that? Uh, that's a disorder that causes you to feel constantly anxious and constantly worrying about things. And um, you're not able to shake this constant feeling of worry. You get different types of anxiety disorders. You get post-traumatic stress disorder that falls under there. You've got obsessive compulsive disorder that falls under there. Bipolar. Bipolar mood disorder, it's closely related to depression and other mood disorders, but sometimes it occurs with also periods of what they call mania or hypomania, which is kind of the opposite of being depressed. So then you're suddenly full of too much energy and you do things that are actually harmful to yourself because you've got too much energy. So that's, that's bipolar mood disorder. Why is it not just called sadness? Because sadness is a, is a normal human emotion and everybody experiences that at some point. Um, we make the distinction when we start talking about mental health uh, disorders when it starts affecting a person's ability to function in their normal life. Um, and then we'll look at specific diagnostic criteria to see what kind of disorder you've got. And it's not always very clear cut. Um, gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, that's when a person feels a negative emotional response to their assigned gender. Personality disorder. Personality disorder, uh, you've got different types. You get antisocial personality disorders, borderline personality disorders, different types characterized by different behaviors. Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a condition that uh, causes a person to have uh, delusions or hallucinations or uh, abnormal perceptions of reality around them. Substance use disorder. Substance use disorder is a broad term that uh, describes misuse of various substances, including alcohol, other illegal uh, substances. And it means also that it affects a person's function and their normal uh, ability uh, to live life. If this was many, many years ago, people will look at us and go, all these terms that we've created with these different disorders that we name people, and surely if they become holy, they will be healthy and all of this will just go away, right? I don't know. Yeah. Why is it called disorder? It's called a disorder, I suppose, to distinguish between, again, normal emotions and normal just going through life. And it's a way to to, in a, in a way, medicalize it and call it a, a thing that needs treatment and help. 
Um, but some people are not always comfortable with that kind of labeling. So um, it's, but but we still need to make a distinction between what's normal and what's uh, affecting your, your your general function, so that we can offer help for, for people who need it. I love how, as even a medical expert, you didn't say it's abnormal. Because we're still dealing with humans, right? Who has yeah. feelings and who's going through things and we're not always sure what happens. Magritte is a mother and she is a professional in her work, her line of work. And if you were just a chick that walked past me on the street, I wouldn't walk past you and go, hey, you've got mental health issues, problems. If you had to describe what you have had, what would you say? I was caught in a box almost and it, I was I was clamped in there and I wanted to get out. So I would have these outbursts very much. And that's why I, I was diagnosed with bipolar initially. That didn't quite work for me and then I became just very sad and I just locked myself in the house because I was scared. I was scared of everything. Nothing made sense to me anymore. When you felt sad or these emotions that you can't describe... Was it the result of something or did you always feel like that? It was as a result of something that happened to me. What happened? She's saying, I worked late one night. I drove home. It was winter. I was close to my house when I felt the heat of the car getting hot and the cars in front of me started to blow their horns and the cars behind me tried to drive me off the road. I knew what was going on. I just didn't understand why. When I approached the traffic light, the car didn't want to stop at all and didn't want to work. It was as if the steering wheel was locked. Finally, the car stopped and I hit my head on the side window. But before I did that, I just saw flames coming up the windscreen from the outside. Your car was on fire? Yes, it was. And I was locked inside. How did you get out? The fire brigade was phoned and they managed to get me out. What were you wearing? My work clothes, I lost <laughs> my one shoe in the car because I drive only with my, my right side, um, not with the shoe on. And um, I lost everything, GPS, everything, my sunglasses, the car's la- of the laptop of work. Um, it's just, it's, it's about getting you out of that situation. Where was your baby? He was at home. He was waiting for mommy to come to, to, from work. Oh, thank God. He wasn't in the car. You're getting into the ambulance and they've just saved you from a burning car. Did it explode? Yes, it did. Just shortly before they administrated the the, um, the oxygen, I got a shot and then, well, I think it's maybe seconds later, they put the mask on and the ambulance just had like a, something like the, something exploded and then the guy said he came back into the ambulance and he said it exploded and I was like, shoo, okay, what now? So he asked me for my cell phone. Let's phone your husband. Tell him he's okay. And, oh, my cell phone was in the car. That same one that just exploded. Hmm. Everything was in the car. Are you okay? I am okay now. Yes. Hmm. Your car's exploding. You thought it was the heater because the car was heating (laughs) up because it was a winter's day. (laughs) You're in the ambulance. They are treating you now as someone who almost, no, as someone who burnt, because your feet burnt, right? Yeah, my foot burnt. How long were you you in hospital for? Initially, one day, because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Everybody thought, oh, give her a pillicky, it's going to get, it's going to go away. Mm. Um, I went back to work and 
three days. I don't even think it was three days. On the third day of the morning, um, the car, again, the um, you know, it's a cold morning, and um, the cold air rushed up, the warm air, and it completely clocked the um, the, the windscreen. So you're sitting in the car, mm-hmm. and all you're seeing is a little bit of steam in the car because it's a cold morning, the heater is on. You're in the car now. Yeah. A different car. Yes, my husband's driving. You're in the passenger seat. Yes. What happens next? I freaked out because I didn't want to go to work. I was scared. And he said to me, let me take you. It's going to be okay. And just before we get to work, this whole thing steamed up. And it's not fast enough to get rid of the steam. And it feels like everything's enclosing again. You suffered trauma? Yes, I did. I didn't realize that. I just thought, yeah, you know, I'll get over this. So how long after you were in this burning car treated in hospital for one day, going through the same kind of trauma feelings, confusion, every time you get into a car, did you realize that something has changed for me mentally? I'm, I'm in a different state. Yolana, I'd say about two weeks because I became irritated, cry, have outbursts, and then became so sad the next minute. I mean, the next minute, my son couldn't understand. He couldn't keep mm-hmm. up with mommy. So to try and protect everybody at home, I sort of just lived in myself. I closed the windows. There's no air coming in from in, from any any place. I basically hide whenever the whoever comes over. I will hide because I don't want to see them. I changed my day and my night around because night is for me danger. Hmm. So now I'm awake because I'm I'm keeping watch of the danger. During the day I sleep and I eat. During the night I sleep. A little bit, if I can, but then I wake up, I've got these terrors, and then I eat. Because eat makes me feel safe. Did you pick up weight? 60 kilograms in a year. What food would you like? I think anything that was there that was available. I don't like bread. I ate bread and biscuits. It wasn't cooked food. It was anything and everything that was bad. Sugary stuff, fatty stuff, horrible stuff. Throughout this, you are married with a young child and you're still not diagnosed. Has this affected your marriage? Yes, it has. It had a a negative impact. I think because we were not sure what's wrong with me. Mm. Um, My husband also didn't quite understand what was wrong with me because he kept on saying or seeing that I'm freaking out and he doesn't understand why. Mm. Why would I freak out if I get close to a car? Why does it take so long just to get to the garage? Why won't I drive? He doesn't understand that. How and when were you diagnosed? In, it was two years ago. I think it was in November. What did they say? I finally saw the psychiatrist and he managed to, to figure it out for me. And he said to me, you suffered trauma. We need to take care of that. Um, I'm going to, first of all, let's change your day and your night around. I put you in hospital. I put you on a proper plan to eat. You get some exercise. You do recreation stuff. And I started with small steps. I didn't like that because now I'm, I'm awake. When I'm not supposed to be awake, I used to cry a lot. Mm-hmm. Basically, him and the psychologist took my hand. They took me through to, again, made me sit in a chair physical stuff to how to get yourself free from a situation like that. Psychiatrist gave me tablets to help me sleep, to help me cope during the day, Mm. which I was very, 
very grateful for because I, I just couldn't cope. I was scared the whole time. Are you coping now? Yes, I am. <laughs> you look like you're coping. Yes, I make a, a point of it every morning. Um, I'm not rushed anymore. Mm-hmm. If I'm light, I'm light, tough. I do what I need to do. I, I take care of myself because I didn't. I lost 40 kilos. Well done. And I try to be a better person and mm-hmm. to give back. Because that night there was a guy standing next to the car. He was the first guy that actually pulled next to the car and said to me, don't worry, I will not move. I will stand here sure. until they got you out. And his, his girlfriend or his fiance, whoever it was, was, she was like in a state because the car is burning. There's like smoke everywhere. The fire brigade is trying to hose this thing down. And they gave him like, a, I don't know what it's, a blanket or something just to protect him. And he was there. When they got me out, he stood right next to me and he was in the ambulance. He borrowed me his phone to find my husband. And when I wanted to turn around and say to him, thank you, he was gone. It's like an angel. Doctor, one of the things I just said to Magrit is, you look fine. We all look fine. How, how, how does one, how do you get to that point where you go, I think I need help? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's, that's the question for many people. Like, what does someone look like who has a mental illness? You know, do they, do they sit in a, in a wall with padded, in, in a room with padded walls? Or do they walk around looking like everybody else, like Magrit uh, next to me? Um, I think the, the main distinguishing factor is to, to see if it affects your normal daily life. Can you still do your job normally? Can you still interact with your family normally? Can you Do you still interact with friends socially? Like Magrit mentioned, she started isolating herself and she started switching her day and her night. Um, and I'm sure you would agree, Magrit, that it, it started affecting your, your way of life and being able to function um, as you previously did. And I think that's the big distinguishing factor. So as, as soon as things like that start happening, and the symptoms that you're experiencing are persistent and they don't go away because everybody goes through periods of sadness or anxiety or worry, and that's normal. But if it keeps on going for more than two weeks generally, um, it's, and it affects your, your daily functioning, it's, it's, it's cause for concern and, it, and, it's, and it's a, that's a good point to start asking for help. It's such a big shame around taking a pull for something. You know, can't we just resolve it with diets or... Uh, like I was joking earlier about becoming holy only, you know, mm-hmm. or um, is it okay to take medication to feel better? I mean, you can ask the same question to a diabetic. Is it okay to take medication if you're a diabetic? Um, mm. And I think there's a lot of stigma around mental mental health problems. And, um, and I always encourage people to think about it the same as they would about diabetes. We don't make jokes about diabetics and call them uh, funny names and mm. tell them they're crazy or basket case or things like that. Mm. We would feel bad if we did something like that to a diabetic. And the same, but we feel just fine to do that to someone with a mental health disorder. Um, and it's an illness just like any other. And sometimes it needs medication to treat it. Um, Exercise and diet and, and, and proper sleep are part of the treatment. Um, in fact, exercise has been shown in some cases to even be as effective or even more effective than some medications for some patients. So um, that's not to say that you should only take pills and then just wait for things to happen. There's a lot of 
work that you also need to do. You need to exercise. You need to look after your your, your lifestyle. Uh, you need to sometimes engage in therapy and counseling, which can also be difficult and it takes a lot out of a person. Um, and those are the different t treatment options and different things work for different people. Um, and sometimes with medication, it's also a case of trialing different medications and seeing what works for that specific person. And that also makes it difficult. Um, uh, it's not always as straightforward sometimes as perhaps treating a, a, a straightforward diabetic um, because mental health problems are so complex, so interwoven with the person's whole life uh, that you need to address all of those aspects to, to manage it properly. Soon I want to talk about practical examples of how to get you to the point of a diagnosis or to go and see a professional. I mean, the first thing that pops up in my head is a diary. Like, what if you can make a note every single day for three weeks and say, okay, today I didn't feel good and today I was really sad and couldn't interact. Um, so I, I want to speak to that soon. But immediately I'm thinking of the undiagnosed professional, you know, who every night when he comes home has had a hard day at work and you have a drink because it makes things go away, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, people self-medicate. So when they don't get professional help for, for their problems, that's the way that they sometimes deal with it. And then that in itself becomes a problem as well. Uh, to the point where they can't control that or, you know, the the the, the alcohol starts controlling them. Um, and now you've got two problems instead of one. So that's definitely a problem. And I think that's that's definitely a way that a lot of people try and deal with this. But it, it never goes well. It just goes downhill. Um, so I would say, you know, when you start feeling that, uh, thinking that you might have a problem, go to your general practitioner, your family doctor, Get uh, guidance from them. They'll ask you some questions. They'll ask you about your family history. They'll ask you about your symptoms um, to try and find out whether it is actually a disorder that needs management or whether it's just a normal phase of your life that you're going through after a job loss or other losses. Um, and they'll take it from there and then refer you to the kind of ma treatment that you need, be it a psychiatrist or a psychologist or prescribe you some medication. She's crazy. Yes, Molman. I sit on, you know. He's pretending. She's just pretending. You should speak your mind. Ha ha, they laugh. You're mad in your head. As someone who does not suffer from the disorders that we've discussed, even those are triggers for me. You know, I think, why, why do we, why is it such a shame if so many people are suffering? Mm-hmm. If, if, if we all know someone who either has cancer, diabetes, or suffers from mental health, why aren't we talking about it more? I often tell people I think we're with mental health where we were with HIV 20 years ago. I know! We, yeah, we're, we're in the same situation where there's not enough knowledge about it, there's ignorance, and with ignorance comes fear, and with that comes this stigma and um, pushing it away and pushing it aside. Um, and I think, as we did with HIV some years ago, we need to start talking more about mental health. Uh, we need to acknowledge that one in every three South Africans will suffer from a mental disorder at some point in their lifetime. Um, and we need to start looking at it as a very real problem and a problem that can be dealt with and that there is help for. Can one die of mental health? You can. So um, a mental illness can become so severe and so uh, 
debilitating that it might drive you to self-harm or suicide. So it's also not to say that it's, oh, it's just sit on or it's just, mm. you know. And like I mentioned earlier, it also affects all aspects of your life. It, as, it affects your ability to function at work and earn an, a, a living. It affects your ability to take care of your family. Um, so to me, mental health sits at the center of all health. If, 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 if you have poor mental health, everything else in your life will, will suffer from it. Is it something that you disclose to an employer? If you're being hired, do you tell them that you suffer from mental health? Do you, do you, or is it a human right to just be quiet about it? I think it's your right to decide about that. So I suppose it depends on your relationship with your employer and whether it's necessary for the type of work that you do, that whether you need to disclose it. Um, a lot of employers these days have employee assistance programs to assist people through uh, some of these things. Um, I love that. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's 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 a great access point to just start getting uh, start getting help. It's often just picking up the phone, calling the employee assistance program, and then they'll direct you to the to the to the professional services. Um, so it's it's a bit tricky with employers, but it 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 depends on on the work that you do, and it's still your choice to decide whether you want to disclose or not. What are practical examples to get us there? So we've talked about the way to diagnosis. You can go to a GP if you even have a slight suspicion that you might not be well? Yeah, I think that's probably the best place to start. Most people have access to their GP. Um, GPs are trained in, 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 in primary uh, mental health care. So like I mentioned earlier, they would then start asking you a series of questions. Um, they'd also ask you about your general health and see whether there's maybe a physical health problem that's affecting your mental health, which can also happen. Um, and then they'll start discussing with you whether um, it is a formal diagnosis and then start, start talking about treatment options and whether you need to be referred or whether your GP can still manage you. And like I mentioned earlier as well, other places to, to start getting help is with employee assistance programs at, at work. Um, and then uh, with some of the medical schemes have, have uh, programs that help people access mental health care. FedHealth has a program also where you can phone in and speak to a counsellor, and they'll then also direct you to the right person. How did you get to that point of, I'm going to be okay? I think I did the programme. My Nelly phoned me from FedHealth, and she said to me, Mokhrit, we see symptoms. We, we can help you. And I thought, you know what? I don't think you can help me. Seriously, I'm, I'm in this dark place. Now everybody's saying nasty things. My family's like disowned me. I don't think so. Marinda phoned. She's also part of the mental health program. And she said to me, Margaret, just give us a chance. Take one step forward. Let us take you further. And that was the, that was the start of it. I mean, and I've been taking steps. There, there has been animal interactions. We've, we live on a, on a plot. So there are actually with sheep, horses. Something I've, I've learned about the horses was I couldn't get in that anxiety state because I would get like panic attacks mm. and be completely enclosed I couldn't walk to a horse feeling like that I had to calm myself down ah. and then I completely forgot about the panic attack because those eyelashes are so nice and you actually <sighs> you strike the head and you forget and here comes the sheep mm. so I got my, my daily interactions with animals actually calmed me down I love that because that's the last thing you think of right yes. you think I need to get along with humans but there's so much out there. <laughs> Imagine. 
Ja, the animals healed me. Is breathing and writing something that you do? Like if you feel you have or you're, that you're close to that feeling that you call an enclosed feeling, what do you do? I write. I've written over 15 years, lots of blo little blocks about my dad died and the anger that I feel because he died with, without saying, I'm sorry. Mm. I write about my dog that passed away, mm. another dog that I saw that's so cute. Mm. This, this sheep that's like, I mean, my sister-in-law will ride a bicycle. Here comes the sheep running next to the bicycle like she's a dog. <laughs> Um, I write about anything and everything what I see, all my interactions, I will write. I keep like a diary just to remind me of what to write because it's my world. That's my world and that's what I do. also do for a living. I forget. I completely mm -hmm. forget what, what happens and I just live in my world. What are some of the other things that have taken you from trauma, confusion, what is happening to me, diagnosis and where you are right now? I think medication um, played a big role in mm -hmm. the beginning. And then we, then I was weaned off because I had to go and stand on my own two feet. And right. That was my decision. I mean, you can do this for a year, but seriously, two years, three years, I don't see myself. Because now you become, uh, it's almost like that's your piliki. Mm. If something happens, I need the piliki. Mm. And I got to that stage and, I, and I, I realized, look, I'm hooked. I need to function on my own. Mm. So, with the help of the Fed Health um, Department, I we put like steps in place, mm -hmm. basic steps. Just wipe the floor. Sweet, you know, right? Basic. Get steps. up. Yes, get mm -hmm. up. Make your bed. Because once you made it, you can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Anneli said to me. My Rinda said to me, "Open the curtains, mm. because you're not going to sleep in a room that has got open curtains." Did they give you advice on what to do for your spouse? Small things. Mm. I can't just go bombard him because there's, there's major damage. Mm. And I've, I've made that mm. because I lashed out. I was angry. Mm. And small things. Just make him a cup of coffee That's to show it. that you, you, you care. Mm. Put a note in to his, his lunchbox and with, just with a heart. Mm. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to apologize for years and years of stuff because you, don't, you won't even know where to start. Mm. Small little things, put those little steps in place and it grows to something bigger. It feels like the advantage of having a diagnosis in mental health puts us back to some of the basics. I mean, the things that we teach our children. Kindness, how to get up. Basic things mm. like, I love that word, interaction. It's a big word and it's a big step for someone who hasn't been interacting for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's why um, we shouldn't forget the basics. You know, medication has, has its place most definitely. But the basics, getting off from the couch and going for a walk around the block, uh, trying to get enough sleep at night, eating healthy, getting some fresh air, getting social interactions with the people around you. Those things are incredibly important in maintaining and achieving again your mental health. You mentioned that there's programs with medical aids that can take people through this. And I actually didn't know that when you are diagnosed that this is even supported by a medical aid. Just take me through that quickly. I mean, what, what is out there? Once you're diagnosed, now what? Sure. So uh, different medical schemes will have different uh, options avail available to people. 
Um, we had a problem in this country in the past 20 years or so through the history with medical schemes and the way that the legislated benefits are set up in that there's very little coverage for outpatient or out-of-hospital out mm. treatment of mental health. So often you'd have to land in hospital before you actually get benefits for, for seeing doctors or getting medication right. and so on. Uh, but that is gradually changing. I think most of the medical schemes are starting to realize that that's just not good enough. Mm. Um, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the patients and their families, but it's also not good for the medical schemes who end up paying a lot more in hospital when they could have tried and prevented uh, a person getting to that point. Um, so FedHealth is one of the schemes who've actually um, restructured some of their benefits so that they now cover out-of-hospital out uh, uh, consultations with psychiatrists and GPs and psychologists and social workers. And they also started covering chronic medication for depression and anxiety, which on a lot of schemes up to, up to now hasn't been covered. Um, so I think that's a very good uh, step in the right direction. Um, and then some of the schemes like FedHealth has uh, an additional support program like Mahrid's mentioned where they've got uh, trained nurses and counsellors who phone people who they can see from their claims are, are possibly having trouble with, with their mental illness. They'll phone them and they'll use a questionnaire to screen them to see how, how, how they're doing and then they'll give them basic support over the phone like Mahrid uh, described and they'll keep following up with them and they'll also keep in contact with the, the doctor who is treating the, the person so that they make sure that everybody is aligned in, in, in what has to happen. Someone's listening to this cast today and they know of someone who might be suffering. They know of someone who is in their dark room without that big word, interaction. <laughs> they know of someone that has suffered trauma they know of someone that hasn't suffered trauma and that's just been like that. And they go, oh, he's just like that. You know, he's always been like that. What do we do? How do you convince someone else to take that step? It's difficult, I think, um, because we all have this stigma in society and an internalized stigma towards people with mental illness and even towards ourselves. If we, we suffer from a problem ourselves, we tell ourselves, I oh, know, man, I'm just, I'm just being weak or I'm, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't ask for help. Um, so when you want to support someone uh, who you think might have a problem, it's best to, um, I think, not to try and force them, but to have a, a, an honest conversation and give them time, be patient with them. Um, and if you have someone that you're supporting in your family that suffers from a severe mental illness, um, it's also important to take care of yourself, to make sure that you get some time outs um, and that you don't neglect your own mental health and your own physical health so that you can keep supporting the person who needs your help. Magrit, now what? Are you going to be okay? I can ride by myself. I can ride on. I can ride not dog. I can ride every day over a plek wat wat die car gebrand het. In die begin het was dit vir my stressvol, want daar's 'n kruisie met 'n vrou wat dood is daar. En ek het gesit in die aand daar en ek het vir gekyk en ek het gewonder gewaar gaan jy nou in my kruisie plant. Ek het nou net nie. Jy weet jy moet my nou mooi maak so. Ek wil nou my naam daar sien. En ek ry nou en is sweer hoe is ek het gister ry ek terug en weet jy Lana Dit is die, die robot te werk nie, en dit is piekie freakie vir my, 
want omdat ek daar sit, mm. en ek sien die merk is nog op die teer, hulle het al daar oorgeteer, maar dit sit nog daar, en hier kom die, die politie voorbij, met hulle lichte aan, hier skielike boorkie aan die linkerkant, wat iets van hulle gaan environmental studies doen, and the, and the traffic car, the traffic car comes past, and the next thing, the light changes, and I'm over. So I looked at it this morning, I'm like, okay, that, that's, you know what, thank you for being there, but mm. it's gone now. Mm. And I'm free. Life is busy with so many distractions and things and appointments, interactions, some that matter and some that don't. May we all reach this state of well-being that they talk about that is owed to every individual out there, whether you have a mental health disorder or not. And may our only disorder be our own potential that we need to reach one day through the help of people and support and stories like yours, Magrit, and hopefully like this podcast that we could share with everyone today. Thanks for your time. Thank Thanks you very much. Thank you.